I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our guest today is John Serpinski, who grew up on the south side of Milwaukee and lived for a time out in L.A. and San Francisco. He's published in many literary magazines and anthologies and has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. John's going to be reading poems and talking about his experiences in San Francisco back in the middle of the 20th century and talking about experiences he had crossing the country in a VW microbus with his long hippie hair. The response was not always friendly. Then we'll be joined by Freesha McKee, a poet activist who is part of a collective of free and incarcerated writers who collaborate through poetry. She brings poetry to prisons in a number of ways, collecting books for prison libraries and individuals, helping with letter writing programs, and encouraging prisoners to share their poetry in workshops. I'm Charlie Rossiter for Poetry Spoken Here, and we're talking with John Serpinski, and we're going to be hearing his poetry and talking about uh, the beat writers and others. So glad you're here, John. Glad to be here. I mentioned the beat writers because you are interested in them, and uh, some of the poetry you sent me also indicates that, and you were out there in, in Frisco at just about the right time. Um, I want to ask you, before we get into your poetry, what do you, to you, makes like a beat poem? Well, it kind of, for me, it's the narrative quality and the spontaneity of it. And probably taking risks or chances as, as they did. So listening to Kerouac's poems and, or Ginsburg, it, uh, you know, I mean, after all, Howell was uh, considered pornography until the- <laughs> That's true. Court was overturned so for me it's that type it has that type of quality telling a story it's not opaque i mean it's somewhat clear so yeah. having read corso and, and a couple of the other ones william burroughs naked lunch gary snyder so these these are the, the people that you know that i read and and so my own uh, poems are sort of autobiographical and narrative in, in style. Do you think there's anything about um, the attitude in a beat poem? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, it's the nonconformists and uh, stretching the boundaries, so to speak. I mean, it totally went against the norms of the post-World War II era. So it kind of morphed into beat kind of morphed into hippie and so they were both nonconformist that, that's that's my my take on that and that's an interesting element because i don't know why when you say that my first thought is gee how nonconformist is poetry today you know do we still have that a very strong strain of that mm -hmm. yes i don't know you think so i think somewhat some of it the poetry I'm reading today is a little more opaque, I'm thinking, from the people I've generally read in the past. You know, there are there are some 
ones that I read today, like Tony Hoagland or Michael Ryan that speak to me, or Tess Gallagher. So, yeah. you know, those those are a few of my favorites from the contemporary cool. poets. Well, why don't we why don't we get into a a poem here? You uh, you showed me this one called Six Gallery, which is about that very famous reading. I I guess people generally know what that's about. Um, and maybe some have forgotten. So uh, this this will help them find out. Okay. Yes, this was uh, Allen Ginsberg read Howell in San Francisco at a place called the Sixth Gallery, which is now just an empty storefront. But uh, at the time, it was the coffee house. Sixth Gallery, 1955. Crazy Neil Cassidy and Gregory Corso raced across the room shouting, yes. Jack Kerouac tapped out a rhythm on a gallon wine jug. Gary Snyder sat in the lotus position while Allen Ginsberg chanted and read about the madness of the best minds of his generation. Howell, 1955, shit. I was in early grammar school. I wouldn't make it out to San Francisco until 1965, and all I had in grade school were black and white television caricatures, dark glasses, goatees, leotards, bad jazz, bongos, snapping fingers, horizontally striped pirate shirts, black berets, beatnik, sputnik. It wasn't until a Midwest high school where I read poetry, tried to write my own, then read about what had gone down in that coffee house on Fillmore. Finally, I wandered North Beach in a fog on a Friday night. I stood inside City Lights Books. Vesuvio's bar wouldn't let me in. Underage, the bartender declared. Having already appropriated and swilled a poor boy bottle of wine, I swayed. There she was, a drunken woman leaning against a dumpster and being pawed by a sailor. Down the absurdly hilly blocks by topless and bottomless bars, an unshaven man in a stained sport coat with his dirty hand demanding money from my young hand then into the early Saturday morning mist, Market Street. I walked away from the porn shops, the pawn shops, and discount stores, all closed, headed back to Folsom Street and my room. Near a streetcar stop, I spotted the sailor's woman. I said, I want to be a writer. She said, I'm still a little drunk. We were on our way to my room in the Baker Hotel. It might have been the Dylan record I put on the cheap turntable, or it might have been the joint she pulled out of her purse, or it could have been the used copy of Howl she left on the nightstand. Anyway, I got it, I wanted it, and at least I thought I had it. Then there was the war. Instead, I chased back to Milwaukee, went to college, only dreamed of beats, became a hippie, and carried my burden on my secondhand suede sleeve. On a visit to my parents' house, I recall my father putting down his newspaper with a great crumpled flourish, and while staring at the now colored TV, said, you don't even realize what you're doing. Those kinds of people are just plain goofy. When I tried to defend myself, he said, don't talk so foolish. What's wrong with you? I decided right then and there that I would always look to women for help. When was that poem written in relation to the experience of it? Like pretty recently or is it back a ways? Uh, 
probably in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really going back with recollections. Nothing yeah. has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, while you were reading it, it reminded me of another uh, characteristic, at least characteristic of Ginsburg, is, is the importance of rhythm. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. He was actually musical too, wasn't he, with the uh, tambourine and, and, you know, I saw him read in person. He was a pretty remarkable showman with his, with, again, rhythm, musical quality. Yeah, about a minute, right at the beginning in your first couple of standards, I was getting that feeling of the driving rhythm, you know, raced across the room shouting, yes, Jack Kerouac tapped out of, oh, there's a word rhythm, on a gallon wine jug, and it just kept, mm, 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 to me, <laughs> to my ears, you know, which is good, of course, is good. Thanks. And and did you live there very long in Frisco, or were you just like a quick shot? I actually lived there six months i i left for the coast on my 18th birthday i had graduated in june from high school in six, 1965 and i was 17 and my birthday was october 16th and so my parents said if i left any earlier they would send the cops after me so i waited until my 18th birthday and i left with a friend of mine who was a few years older than me and we started hitchhiking and didn't we got to chicago and we ended up taking a train. <laughs> so wow. that was the beginning of the adventure of two Midwest boys that were living in the Midwest. All of a sudden, we're in San Francisco. <laughs> so quite a quite a cultural shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also reminds me when Kerouac started hitchhiking, and he only got as far as Bear Mountain in upstate New York. Went back to the city and took a bus. Oh yeah, I read that. <laughs> I read that too. Which is funny. So, um, but, well, let's have let's have another poem. Uh, you got something from well, something from that time or from another time? Okay, this one's a little later in time. What I, we stayed out in San Francisco, as I said, for six months. I went back to school and college, and I got married. A young lady that I was dating. Uh, became pregnant and I got married. We were both very young when I got, when I got married. And uh, after some time in Wisconsin, I decided I wanted to go back out to California. And so I left with the same guy that I left to go to San Francisco with, but this time I had a wife. So I bought uh, a Volkswagen microbus and we loaded it up and I went out, we went out to Santa Monica I got a job, and then when I got money, I sent for my wife, and then she came out with her little girl. So this poem is called VW Microbus Burning. We are, my wife and little girl, at the auto repair garage again. It's Monday afternoon, and they want another 400 bucks that we can ill afford. If we need to, I finally say, we just have to do it, she says. Our daughter has found a purple thistle sticking up through the asphalt lot where other broken down cars sit. She touches it with her index finger. She makes a face like the sad mask, sniffs but doesn't cry. Then she finds a pebble. Last night, our battery had shorted out in West Hollywood. Believe it or not, the entire rear engine compartment became engulfed in flames. 
After I got my wife and daughter out of the bus, I ran over to a liquor store for water. The owner looked at me skeptically, then said he had none. Ah, oh, come on, I thought. Then once more outside, I snatched his rain bucket and doused the bright orange flames. Do you believe he had followed me outside, grabbed his white bucket and said, all you damn hippies are alike. The flames had gone out, but of course the bus wouldn't run. I hatched the plan, push honey, and I'll walk and steer. My wife had on very tight shorts. After a few feet, a man in a white jacket showed up and gave us a push with his car. That was last night. Now we're back again. The garage is next to the chain link fence to the Santa Monica freeway, I-10. I can smell the acrid odor of car exhaust. It burns my eyes. The noise is near deafening. My daughter's soft brown face looks through the fence. We're forced to spend the money and get back into the insanity of the nonstop freeway. Yeah, that's some kind of adventure. <laughs> so that's a little bit of the, a couple years later, that probably would have been around 1969. So when mm. these things were happening and, you know, it was a time of traveling and uh, people giving each other the peace sign. And, you know, I fell into that uh, culture and, and lived in Santa Monica and spent time in Venice, which is just south of Santa Monica. And, and so we lived in the California lifestyle for about a year. So, it, From this poem, it sounds like you also were on the receiving end of some uh, hippie discrimination, should we call it? Yeah. When you're yes. out in the world there, away from other uh, long hairs, let's say? Correct. Yeah. On the way, on the way driving out, we were uh, refused service in a restaurant in St. Louis. My friend and I walked into the restaurant, and we took some menus, and we were about to order, and, and the man came over to the counter, the owner, I presume, and he says, I don't think I'll serve you two gentlemen. And I began to say, why not? and other diners were starting to stand up and it was getting a little tense and he just said well it's my prerogative and so we left so there was there was some of that going wow in that time you know and this, this uh, just because you were like scruffy looking and the, uh, the hair and whatever or probably i mean you uh, could tell from looking combination of uh, I look at some pictures now, and the hair wasn't even that long, but I guess it was long enough to label us as yeah. uh, two drug fiend hippies. <laughs> 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 so there was that, and 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 with the the VW bus and the fire and the you know the guy calling you know all you damn hippies are alike. Of course, there was a lot of I think there was a lot of and uh, the Beats noticed this too. There was a lot of fear in society and fear of the unknown mm -hmm. and people get uh, fearful they get really defensive so i think that was part of it yeah okay what else you got okay uh a little a little further on we came back to milwaukee this poem here is called The Little Italian. 
I'm careful backing the old Oldsmobile down our steep driveway. The car is all bright and shiny from the wash and wax job I gave it. My wife and little girls sit next to me as the wheels roll. We pick up momentum. When I push the brake pedal, it hits the floor, this damn red behemoth of a car. I think the curb across the street will stop us, but we bounce right over it. Then the small Italian man comes out the side door of his house. He waves his arms while shouting, what are you doing? I yell, no brakes, and steer past his bird bath and into his big pine trees. The thick branches slow us. Finally, we stop. My wife and daughter stare. The little Italian man, however, seems satisfied. After all, his gum-snapping floozy of a daughter has caused him enough problems. <laughs> so. It's like a scene out of a sitcom. <laughs> in a way, you know. I can just visualize this guy waving his arms and you're going, no breaks. This, that took place. Well, that it has, you know, some truth to it. It was, mm -hmm. I probably embellished it a little, but uh, yeah. it did take place in my parents' neighborhood. So here comes the guy with the long hair back from California and is letting his car get away from him. And, you know, I can imagine right. what the neighbors thought. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, why don't you, why don't you give us another one here? Um, okay. I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'm going to slip back to California and okay. Santa Monica and we're still living out there. And this is called uh, Santa Monica Winds. The sun lets itself down across the moldy Pacific. Its glitter begins to go away as the dotted air picks up the late afternoon breeze. Earlier, Oceanfront Walk had been studded with people. The retired professional wrestler sat in the sun, zinc oxide on his nose. The chess players were out too in their goodwill coats as if the temperature was 40 degrees instead of 80. Wax bikini-clad women played volleyball like slippery seals, and the bodybuilders pushed for the funhouse mirror. Then, on the pier, we smelled taffy, corn dogs, funnel cakes. Inside, arcade amusements indoctrinated the innocent, the pierced, the tattooed. Down below, near pilings, a wino urinated, while two more argued over the bottle inside a paper sack. Another man slept like crumpled newspaper. Now, the surfer dude packs up his hatchback and the daytime crowd begins to dwindle. The afternoon wind picks up, seagulls encroach, strain their necks for another broken Frito. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday merge. The blue dust brings in waves and the sound of waves. Pacific Coast Highway, the stream of white headlights, red taillights head north to the scream of Malibu. Over black speakers in the passing white car, Jay-Z pounds his beat, competes with the soft and easy sound of WCAL, and soon all the lights along the shore are coming on. Until tomorrow, when the beach scene door swings open and nearly everyone is deathly awake getting up one more time to try and steal Time's wallet. Ah, Time's wallet. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, are you working on anything particular now, any certain kind of poems or 
any kind of thing, uh, types of writing or anything like that? I just completed a collection. And so they span the poetry in the collection. The collection is called Sucker Hole. And it incorporates poems about my youth, even as a child, and, and continuing on. Some of these uh, ones that I just read are included in the collection. So I finally put it together and uh, getting it ready to send out into the world. Great. So that's been taking, you know, taking a lot of time for me. I, and it has taken years. I mean, mm -hmm. as a poet yourself, I'm sure, you know, you write something and then, you know, you revise and revise and revise, you know, some more before right. it's polished. So I've been working on this for a long time and now I'm finally able to say I'm going to, I'm look, seeking a publisher. Hey, excellent. Glad to hear it. Uh, well, why don't we wrap up? You said you've got the title poem rather handy. Why don't we uh, wrap up with that? Okay. That'll be good. This is called, as the, as the collection is called, Sucker Hole. In Alaska, they call it a sucker hole. The sun, a muted spotlight, sucks you in. You really think the rain is over. Right about then, the sun disappears into dark clouds. Gotcha. A thing like that can do things to you, bring you down. Sucker holes can show up anywhere. What's wrong with you? Snap out of it, my uncle said to my mother. You have a nice house. You don't have to work. In Alaska, they have a lot of drab days, rain, DUIs. If my mother had lived in Alaska, she might have had a better excuse. In Wisconsin, not so much. Sucker holes give false hope, then the dumps. What is my excuse? It's January. It's overcast. The sucker hole has just appeared. I received another rejection in the mail. I only publish 50 poems a year. I receive 5,000. This does not reflect on the quality of your work. Yeah, right. Like the time I forgot to change the word wretch, W-R-E-T-C-H, to wretch, R-E-T-C-H, as in the dog wretched. I have a nice house. I'm not working at least outside of it. My mother was a great homemaker when she was sober. That became less and less. I don't drink anymore, but sucker holes still get to me. I vacuum, I fold laundry, I write this down in my notebook. The sucker hole has disappeared. It's flat and drab again. I've got to get off my dead ass. While I watch the sun, that golden grape as it's swallowed one more time, I need to push myself off of the proverbial pity pot. Crepuscular fingers don't last very long. Some days, it just feels like the last day at the end of the line. All right. We've been talking with John Serpinski, reading just now from his forthcoming book, Sucker Hole. This is Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter here with Poetry Spoken Here. 
I'm joined now by Freesha McKee, a Milwaukee poet who's involved in some very interesting activities that involve taking poetry into prisons. And she's here to talk with us about that today. So glad you could tell us about this. Thanks for uh, having me. In fact, why don't you just tell us some of the things that you are doing? I've heard of poets doing workshops in prisons. Uh, I even did one a long time ago in upstate New York. But I'm just curious, uh, what all are you doing? We're doing a bunch of different things. I volunteer with Cream City Review, a lit mag up here in Milwaukee. And our newest edition that's going to come out very shortly is incarceration themed. So I read submissions for that edition, but one of the projects associated with it was that we did a writing class in a work release prison here in Milwaukee. So that was just a pilot class, it was just a few sessions, and it wasn't really a workshop, it was kind of like going over some fundamentals and like building blocks again, and then doing some writing and a little bit of feedback. Um, so I've done that, and then I'm also part of a group of writers that has been meeting with a, another writer's group inside of a prison. The group is called Pros and Cons. And we have been doing uh, periodic readings, joint readings, and workshops uh, with that group. We've also, we have also been collecting books for the prison library. How do you get the books? It's kind of funny because I was reading this handbook about a Books to Prisoners program, and books are actually really easy to get. Um, if you know a writer, you know a person who has too many books on their hands is sort of how it is. So um, just asking uh, friends, asking through social media, uh, just word of mouth, you gathered a whole bunch of books. And when you uh, do the writing uh, group, pros and cons, did they exist before you all met them or did you help start it up? One of the incarcerated writers started it up I don't know how many years ago, I think it was like seven or eight years ago. They've been around uh, for, they're established. And Dasha Kelly, who's a well-known Milwaukee poet, uh, was going in and doing workshops. And so she brought in, um, she brought in a whole bunch of writers, but also musicians, which was really nice. And um, we, I just feel like all of us who went in there, I had never been in a prison before. It was new and I was really nervous and it was just such a positive experience and really was doing the work of poetry in an authentic way. You know, sometimes we can get a little um, tired or fatigued or, or like cynical about uh, going to so many readings and it's always the same people or going to an open mic and it just feels like, oh, why am I doing this? Um, but there it really felt like people were writing for important reasons and writing about important topics. So some of us, you know, we went in and did a second reading and then we went in and did a improvisational writing and art workshop. Uh, which was really successful. Um, I've been assuming it's got, are these males, male prisoners, or are they both genders? Or yeah, so, yeah, so it's all men. I would really like to work with women prisoners, but that just hasn't happened yet. It's just slow work because, mm -hmm. um, you know, prisons are understaffed and it just takes, you know, it just takes a while to get everything going. But that that's kind of my next thing that I want to do. Do you get indications of from from the guys about what kind of a difference this makes? Do they say much about that, or you know, like what's well, the response from them? Yeah, I mean, when I went in and 
was part of this holiday show, one guy said, this is the highlight of our year. And I was like, this, you know, this two hour, you know, thing. And I realized how much of a privilege it was that any night of the week I can go out and see poetry mm -hmm. you know, or see music. And um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody's really grateful. And so far it's just been a like completely positive experience for me. Sometimes people hear about the work and they have like horror stories about experiences that they've gone into a prison to do writing and they felt uncomfortable, but I haven't, I've been totally, um, it's been totally positive. Well, I think you have, you have a kind of a demeanor that goes over really well with people. You know, I'm not talking about the poetry crowd. I mean, just, you know, the average everyday person who may or may not be incarcerated. <laughs> and yeah. so that, that helps a lot. Do you go in with someone when these things happen or do you go, do people yeah. go solo when you do workshops or? It's been, a, it's been a group, so it's actually been a pretty large group. So we've had like 10 to 20 uh, people from the outside come in at once. So that just creates like a really good energy because there's so many people contributing. And then um, the, the class we did with Cream City Review, there were two, two facilitators. But it was kind of funny because we ended up only having two students uh, sign up. So it was, it was a one-to-one -one ratio. But um, that was a bad thing. And to, to speak to your point earlier, I mean, it really is, has taught me a lot about um, the ways that we, if somebody has committed a crime or is in prison for something, we use one instance or one thing that they've done we let that define the whole person in our society. Um, so it's been a really positive opportunity for me to think about things that I think poetry is concerned with too, right? Like truth and judgment and understanding and all of that kind of stuff. Well, I think one good thing is that it, I get the feeling that you go in there and you talk to these guys like they're people, not like they're prisoners and happen to be people, more like they're people who happen to right now be prisoners. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a judge, and I'm not a jury, and I'm not a correctional officer. I'm there as a poet, and I think that's important. You know, I one of the other ways that I came to this work was reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander that has gotten a lot of publicity this last year and reading some other books um, the other really good one is Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis, which is, mm. it's over 10 years old, but it's still really relevant, especially for writers. She talks about creative writing in there, actually. Um, but just realizing that I don't feel that, uh, that this prison industrial complex is preventing crime or is rehabilitating people maybe, you know, people who've done bad things or even people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Just to kind of wrap up, what would you say, uh, could you advise anyone who thought this was sounded really interesting and maybe they'd like to get involved? Not necessarily with you, but I mean, wherever they may be listening, you know, anywhere in the country or even the world. I made a list of five things. So oh, cool. one, one is um, find, if, is there a program that already exists in your area? There are a lot of programs all over the country. Um, if not, um, maybe connect with a prison or even with the jail and see if 
they would be willing to have you come in and do a poetry reading or do a one-time workshop or do a class, you know, mm. for, for a few weeks or for a semester. Yeah. Uh, the second is becoming a pen pal of a prisoner. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, one, I haven't participated in it yet, but I, but it seems really cool. Pen America, just P and America, uh, has a, uh, writers in prison program and you can sign up to do a four time correspondence with the prisoner about their poetry. So another way to get involved is to read up on it. So read, uh, read the new Jim Crow and see how that what are those intersections with your with your own work and your own practice? And then the fourth is if you are an editor or associated with a literary journal, figuring out ways to become more accessible to writers in prison. So if you only accept online submissions, maybe think about accepting paper submissions because a lot of prisoners don't have access to the internet or maybe have it doing like Cream City Review did, having an issue that um, is incarceration themed, maybe offering a free subscription to an incarcerated writer, things like that. Thanks a lot for preparing that. That's really handy to have, have you be able to say that. Um, really useful. Thanks. Okay, well, we've been talking with Freesha McKee about taking poetry to prisons. This is Poetry Spoken Here. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.